Bring me your tired, your stressed, your overwhelmed and anxious, yearning for some joy in life. It's time to go out and play. Welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart-Fortier. I am your host. And today we are going to hear from two very playful adults, Andrew Walsh and Stacey Newman-Weldon. Now, Andrew is from the United Kingdom. He is known as the Playbrarian, and you're going to hear why on in the interview. Um, but he does a lot of research on play in adulthood. He's actually the managing editor of the Journal for Play in Adulthood, and he wrote an article last year that really caught my eye. It's called Giving Permission for Adults to Play. And we're going to talk about that, obviously. Um, but most importantly, if you are a fan of fairy stories like I am, Andrew has a book coming out in September. It's a compilation. It's called Forgotten Lancashire Folk and Fairy Tales. Now, I am a huge fan of fairy tales, and I especially love people like Andrew out there collecting the tales, the undisnified version, and making sure we get to hear all of the good stuff. Um, so anyway, here is Andrew. Well, it's so incredible to meet you finally, Andrew. So nice to meet you. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. <laughs> well, I have been curious about um, your work for a long time. You were known as the Playbrarian, um, and you sort of. <laughs> sort of. Well, I've heard of I've heard of you as the Playbrarian, and I um, you write a lot of books on education and library um, library science that kind of thing. Why would anyone call you the Playbrarian? Well, th that was my daughter. So oh. it was a few years ago now. So she'll have been to have a thing about 11, yeah, about 12 years old, I think. And like they do, they were talking to, amongst a group of friends at school. <laughs> you know, what do your parents do? So uh, they got onto they got onto Jennifer and uh, she said, well, my dad is a librarian and he teaches grown ups how to play. So I thought, oh, that sounds really good. I'll, I'll take that. So yeah. that sounds like a playbrarian to me. So That's yeah, wonderful. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. My husband was the one who came up with the word playgrounding. So I guess we owe our family members for their uh, <laughs> wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and we can blame them if, if oh. people don't like it as well. Absolutely. We? <laughs> absolutely. Well, um, so one of the reasons I, well, obviously the reason I had been following you um, for a while now is because of being the playbarian and the papers that you do. And, um, but right now specifically is a special time because you have a book coming out. It's not like all the other books that I've seen on your, on the list of books by Andrew Walsh. Um, can you tell me about this amazing book? Um, that I'm I haven't read it yet, so I don't know that it's amazing, but it's an amazing idea. And yeah, tell me about how this came about. Well, the, the book that I've got coming out very soon is <laughs> on, uh, yeah, which is uh, fairy stories and folk tales from Lancashire, mm -hmm. and I've done one similar book. Oh, you before have done one as well, before. which was okay. yeah, which was Yorkshire fairy tales and folklore. Oh, okay, got it. And uh, yeah, I mean, the original Yorkshire one was because. <sighs> I suppose it's all Disney-fied fairy stories you come yeah, across, isn't it? And they're all very much and very bland, and mm -hmm. and 
softened up because mm-hmm. original fairy stories can be quite dark. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, so when my children were really little, I wanted to tell them proper fairy stories uh-huh. and I really struggled to find any. Uh, you know, you had to really dig to get... I suppose local stories, stories that are meaningful to the sense of space where we're at. Yeah. Uh, so a year or so ago, I eventually got around to doing a collection of Yorkshire ones. And the one I've got coming out soon is Lancashire fairy stories. So it's a, it's a two neighbouring but rival uh, uh, the English counties. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and and the Lancashire one is a play thing, really, because it was, you know, we locked down, uh, couldn't go anywhere for for three months. Wow. Uh, most of my spare time is spent shuttling children backwards and forwards to activities. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, so if I'm if I'm not sitting a drafty dance studio or parkour studio all day on a Saturday, what <laughs> should I do? So I uh, yeah, so I, I pulled together this collection of Lancashire fairy stories because of that. That's great. Yeah, and, might and as well play about with stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, what I always think of, you know, when I got older and I started to realize there was so much more to these fairy stories, um, I, where are they just often dusty booked somewhere? Are they, and they just got completely retold and forgotten? Or when you say you kind of like brought them back like this, like how, what was your angle on finding them putting them together in this book. Um, yeah. So I've, I've deliberately tried hard not to retell them, mm-hmm. uh, but to keep them as original as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've, I've had to change the language in quite a few of them because uh, there was a trend at one point when, when collecting folk tales and fairy stories was, was the thing for sort of bored middle-class gentlemen to do so 150 <laughs> years ago. Uh, to, to, to have them in, I suppose, phonetically written dialect. Mm-hmm. So they're really hard to read, lots of them. That's so I'd, 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 I updated the language in some of them, but kept them as close as I could to the originals and basically just dug around in all these sort of 19th century collections of stories that were done at the time. And it was the bored middle-class gentleman thing to do, oh. to go around and collect stories. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And, and because of my play personality, that sounds like, immense fun to me to dig around in stories and and find that it's just so exciting and and um one of the things I kind of wanted to talk to you about as well actually the original reason I wanted to talk to you I have been wrestling with this idea of the metal lude um the idea of when a child goes out onto the playground and they're just given that that click that instant the bell goes off in class or whatever it is it's time to go play they can instantly run out and play and I've kind of just been wrestling with this for so long like uh, did adults just lose that completely or does it still somehow exist is there a way to get adults to have that feeling of okay it's time to play and it just so happens that you wrote a paper on that very thing and I'm just so fascinated by not only your like the, the ideas in your work but also the what led you to do this? Before we even talk about that really quick, um, what kind of led you to studying this in such detail? Well, I, I was trying to 
bring more and more playful practices to my work. So trying to use play myself and going to things like the Counterplay mm-hmm. conference in, in Denmark uh, and sort of playful learning conference in, in the UK and taught me lots of playful people. We'd often mention this idea of giving people permission to play. Mm-hmm. That is, it, it, it's uh, play work. They talk about Metalude, don't they? Yeah. yeah but it's, uh, I don't think we talk about it with grown-ups as much. I just we? love but, that uh, word. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a pretty word. <laughs> it is. Uh, so so we'd, we'd mention it, but when you look at the literature on adult play, nobody talks about it at all. Mm-hmm. No. So, you know, I sit there, well, I, I want to use play more. I'm trying to do it. I've got, approaches I take and it looks like other people have approaches to getting that that activity to start happening Mm -hmm. but nobody seems to write it down at all so I I interviewed a bunch of play specialists well adult play specialists Mm -hmm. in particular because I thought I'm really interested in this I don't really care if nobody else is interested in reading (laughs) it afterwards because I'm interested in it (laughs) exactly for personal satisfaction it was it was fab just speaking to a bunch of experts to say well what do you think of when you think about play Mm -hmm. and how do you enable it Mm -hmm. in in others yeah and it was a whole weird wonderful range of different people so I got quite a nice mix of things in there yeah it's fascinating there's so much (laughs) um (laughs) I I really so I mean I don't want to go too crazy here but but it seems the the problem, as you sort of set it out, is that we feel like we're embarrassed to play. We don't feel like we can. Um, we feel like we don't have permission to play. And, yeah. you know, you don't talk about the negatives as much. You talk at the very end and at the very beginning just to set the stage. Um, adults feel very much like wasting time is kind of a cardinal sin somehow. Yeah. But play mm-hmm. itself means purposeless activity purposeless activity that we just find enjoyable. And so somehow we give that to children, but we don't let ourselves do that as grownups. And some of the areas, I'm sorry, I have to uncover my notes here. Um, Some of the areas that I found really fascinating um, are that when you're in a situation, like, so say you're in a team building event, you're with other people um, and you're, and you're, someone's trying to get you to play, um, you may want to play deep down, but you feel like you can't. You feel like it would be weird. And then, and so it feels like somebody needs to force you to somehow. And yet being forced, it's no longer play, um, technically. So yeah. you kind of talk about this, this strange conundrum of adults feeling like they have to be, you know, cajoled into doing it, something that they really would love to do. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's, a fasc- that's a fascinating point that I kept finding again and again. Yeah, and and there was loads of different things mixed with that. Mm-hmm. So, so there's one of the things I found really interesting was when we talk about play, we say it's always voluntary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can't force people to play. Yeah. So I expected everyone to say that, but about half the people said, "Oh yeah, force people to play all the time," <laughs> and they didn't actually mean we force them to play, but mm-hmm. they forced them to take part in those play activities because otherwise everybody else will be cross their arms and stand back and think well you know there's somebody 
Elsa doesn't want to do it, so I won't do it as well. Uh, <laughs> so, it, so, so they had to drag people in, even though that might not be true play for mm-hmm. that one person who they've forced. But then that enables everybody else to play, so it's worth doing. So I found that really interesting. Yeah. The other half just said, oh, yeah, I'll never, ever force anyone to do it because, you know, we, we, we're not allowed to do that. that that's not play. <laughs> so, yeah, that really interesting mix when when we talk about playing theory, it's never mm-hmm. forced, is it? It always has to be voluntary. But some people said, yeah, but we sort of, we do have that element of, well, making you do it. I feel like it has to be voluntary for the actual benefits of play, for the actual experience yeah. of it. But for us adults, getting through, getting to the point where we can have that metal, because you don't have to force a child to play ever, hardly, unless the child has like things they need to see a child psychologist for, um, which is really sad. I mean, in Stuart Brown's work, it's just heartbreaking what children go through. Yeah. Um, but with adults, sometimes we absolutely have to kind of be forced into the idea of it so that we can get through mm. to the point where we are doing it. And then we're just having fun and we forget that we were forced into this weird thing or yeah. we can. And, and, and sometimes I think it's because there is that embarrassment factor. So if you can make it more embarrassing if you don't join in. Yes. <laughs> than it would be to join it. Yeah. <laughs> then I, it overcomes those barriers, doesn't it? Yeah. And I like the idea too and of, part of... of that's just peer pressure. Yeah. Being what? Sorry. <laughs> Time. Part, and, part, and part of that's just peer pressure, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. so if you see everybody else doing it, then you think, well, you know, I better have a go myself. Right. Exactly. I feel bad. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this and I'm just chomping at the bit and then we're like on the other sides of the globe. So I have to remember that you know, it takes a little moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really, and I like the idea of, of someone saying, well, you can hold the timer or doing something for someone that they, you know, giving them that option to not do the full play, but maybe um, doing something and then finding themselves intrigued and wanting to join in. Um, yeah. Because it's not fun to have spectators, right? It's, it's because if one of the main things people are afraid of is, is being embarrassed you know, having someone judging mm-hmm. them, having that person who's standing off to the side, you know, just watching them play. Nobody wants to be watched. Um, so it's a very strange conundrum that a play facilitator has for adults is getting them to do it, giving them the freedom not to do it, you know. And yet at the same time, part of that facilitation in means giving people the freedom of knowing they're not being watched and judged. It's a strange struggle. <laughs> So there were some lovely tips that people came up with. So, mm-hmm. so uh, d- some of them were quite drastic. So I spoke to some artists and and sort of drama type people where they'd set up uh, interactive installations. Mm. So they t- talk about making sure it was set up in a closed box. Yes. So there was no observers. Yeah. So no, no nobody or not nobody could see you. You felt like nobody could see you. Yes. It was the feeling like you yeah. were you were private it was important but but for the rest of us it was if you're teaching in a classroom somewhere close the blinds so people aren't walking past along the corridor going yep. what are they doing there's lovely bits and pieces like that but and lovely 
bits and pieces around uh, drawing people in from the edges. Like, as you say, you can hold the timer mm -hmm. or you can keep score. <laughs> so people feel like that they're, they're doing something, but they don't have to be fully embedded in the play. Yeah. Uh, and lots of them that use those sort of tips said people get drawn in more and more. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the people that were originally really reluctant to play they just got slowly eased into it. Nice. So by the end, they would take part a lot more fully than uh, because it sort of lowered the barriers and made it a lot easier for them to just slowly glide into it. Yeah. And it's strange because I think even, even not calling it play, you mentioned that in the paper as well. And I've heard some other people, I think that's actually a problem that I struggle with as I move forward with wanting to talk about this subject is that the word play completely turns people off from the outset. And mm -hmm. um, I think it was the gentleman from Counterplay, Daryl Edwards, um, he, at the Jacosamente Festival, he was saying, I, you have to be subversive sometimes, call it something else, um, do something that draws out their play personality. They don't need to know what that is. <laughs> um, right off the bat uh so yeah you talked about that as well of just sort of maybe calling it something different um but play really is yeah i i kind of had to double down and say you know what though i think for the purposes of what i want to do i want to be one of the people who's chipping away yeah. at that negative reaction to the word for adults and i i took a break yeah. from playgrounding for a couple of years and when i left it was way harder than it is now and I think it's bloomed more and maybe it's because I started just at the start of lockdown but I feel like the United Kingdom um, Europe um, places like that I've recently hooked up with the global play brigade also all over the world it feels like there's something that seems that Europeans seem to be more accepting of the idea just to have a company yeah. called Antidote London that that's all they do is put on play events for adults like I can't even imagine that happening in the United States <laughs> <laughs> if you just called it that you know um yeah do you think there's anything different like what do you think it is about i mean i don't know that you know <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that uh, I, th I think a lot of western western civilization is very similar yeah you know we, we, and a lot of it comes from we used to call it a protestant work ethic Mm -hmm. the idea that you I know, know you well. can't waste time and yep. yeah and everyone has to be driven and and, and america's particularly bad for that because everything's put on the individual isn't it you know yep. it's it's up to you to be the next president or you uh -huh. know you can do something if only you try hard enough <sighs> uh, and 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 I suppose there's less of that in, in europe you know there's more of a sense of <laughs> It's community's fault. It's mm -hmm. society's fault. Uh, so the, the uh, what you're equipped to do. So it's yeah. it's up to it's it's more of a collective responsibility, and that lets in a little bit more permission to play. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. But it's really hard to say, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's still and, worth and, it. And, and there are some very bizarre. Yeah. There's some very bizarre cultures in the, in in. Europe that are much more open as well so it does vary as well yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's true the the communal aspect I am a very introverted person and my play even as an only child was always fairy tales and I played by myself in the backyard and had a great time but as an adult I'm finding play is so much more important as a communal activity 
Um, and when I go to join a playful thing on maybe Zoom or something like that, I am a play person, like this playgrounding. I do all of this stuff. I was terrified the last time I joined one through the Global Play Brigade, they were doing some improv stuff, which I had done in my 20s. That was my thing. But I was just, this feeling came up in me. I'm on a Zoom meeting. This is weird. What am I doing? <laughs> so that feeling is so universal. But I feel like it was watching the other people, even through the screen. Um, and then as I, re as I read your paper, you know, that people were watching their boss to see if they were going to participate in this activity. They were watching other people. They were getting drawn in by the group. And I feel like... Maybe this rugged individualism idea needs to be revisited again. <laughs> and maybe that's yeah. one of the ways that play can serve. You did call play at the very beginning of your paper. You called people who just play, you called it a political act. And I'm curious, you don't really revisit yeah. that again. What does that mean? It, it, it's that idea that, if people see you playing, it's a declaration of of what you want the world to be like mm. and what you are like as an individual. So it's a, it's a certain declaration. It's a, and that's what I mean by a political act. It yeah. sort of shows where you stand in the world. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're willing to to play, you're you're willing to show yourself in that light, you're really willing to interact in that quite open, collective, often caring way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Play. So it's yeah. So I suppose that's what I mean by political like that declaration. Yes. If you see someone playing on the street, obviously playing, you have an instant opinion of them. Mm -hmm. Whether it's good or bad, but you you think, well, you know, I know what that person's like. Yeah. Whereas if you keep your head down and quiet, because I'm, I'm very introverted as well, and you want to, you don't want to be seen. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so so that that's hiding your colours away, isn't it? That's mm -hmm. that's I suppose the opposite of a political act. It's it's trying to stop people knowing who you genuinely are. Yeah. Play gets rid of all of that. It opens you up. It, it's a declaration of purpose. Ooh. It's beautiful. And, and and I guess it's just another example of how communal all of this really is. That all of these choices we've made together as a society, we didn't make them on our own to become this dowdy, we're, we're just going to get work done and we're just going to, nothing that doesn't have an outcome. And we have to have ROI on every single activity that we have in our lives. Um, we're, we're consenting to that somehow. Um, but I feel like there are enough people out there right now who are trying to make things different in huge, you know, ways that have to do with race and justice. And but really, there's a mindset shift inside of all of us that has to happen before we can even do those things, which is just to imagine the world in a different way, just to imagine our way of relating to each other in a different way. And I feel like play really does have a, a place in that. Um you know, it doesn't just affect the individual. That's how I've been focusing on it as something that affects the individual um, and helps with mental health, that kind of thing. But man, am I getting a mouthful, a water, of a fire hose of amazing information just teaching me right now of how communal play is and how powerful it is, not just for people, individuals, but for entire societies. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm like, 
<laughs> I'm supposed to be interviewing you, and here I am, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's fab. Most of my play is individual. Yeah. Because I, I am inverted. I, I play a lot within my own head. Uh, but <laughs> that sort of play then yeah. influences everyone around you, doesn't it? So yeah. even when you're playing by yourself, it's still a communal act in, in some way, isn't it? Because yeah. everything you do leaks out. Exactly. to the community around you and yeah. and one more thing on that note and before i um like is that when we are playing together we tend to agree to certain types of play you know people will say you said sports i think you said and um like play acting you know drama that kind of thing there's certain kinds of play that are acceptable and i know for me especially in los angeles there are certain kinds of play that are fashionable you know you should go to the hollywood bowl they have an amazing film series where you can watch scary movies on Halloween and it's great. I, I went because it's a thing to do and I got there and I was miserable packed into a huge lawn where you get about, you know, a, a three foot by one and a half foot square of space to sit to watch a movie that's really far away. Um, and yet we were all Instagramming it and all the things. And I just it started me thinking. When we're playing, when we're playing like we think is play. Is it really play? Is it really fun? Um, and that might be a tough question for people to ask themselves. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think that there's this there's this type dichotomy, isn't there? There's this thing between play and games, where games are often seen as very formal and structured, mm -hmm. and play is very informal and unstructured. And I think. There's a tendency, again, in Western civilization to go down the really formal structured games type mm -hmm. route. And I wonder if that's just because that's how people make money out of us playing. So yep. that's oh. what becomes oh. acceptable. That's a great, so, great so, point. So we can make money out, you're going to the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> so, so that's the acceptable play. It's true. You can't, yeah. Oh, wait, not the Hollywood Bowl. I meant Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Sorry, I, that's uh, what I meant yeah. to say. But yeah. But, <laughs> Oh, yeah. wow, I didn't think about where, the people making money out of it. Yeah. Whereas you, you can't make money out of someone going on flight to fantasy in their own head. You True. know, it's, yeah. Wow, what a fascinating time. This is so great. I You've you've also started something called the Journal of um, Play for Adults. and Or sorry. Yeah, playing adulthood. Yeah, playing adulthood. And, and so there obviously are more of you out there doing actual research. And I have only very I've only dipped in. I It's one of those things I meant to dig into years ago and then I hadn't done it yet. And so recently I started discovering it. So what are some of the other articles on there from? I mean, well, they, well, we've got a couple of special editions coming up. And uh, and uh, there's a few people got uh, a whole wide ranging set of articles coming up soon. Mm -hmm. uh, so so people from all over the world putting in for it about playing universities. Mm -hmm. And it's not the kind of journal that you so, have to pay a fortune to get the articles either. You can go in and oh no, oh download no. them yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, completely open access. So yeah, I don't, I don't agree. In, yeah, that makes me so happy. <laughs> I have no I, idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm a librarian by trade, and so we, we hate this idea of journals costing a fortune and knowledge mm -hmm. being locked away. Yeah. It all wants to be open. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's all open by default. So there's there's a, there's a massive range of stuff coming up for it. Great. Uh, but I I just go off on a bit of an aside yeah. because you're on about you're on about claiming about the word play. <laughs> I actually. 
I wanted to call it the journal, the journal of adult play. Yeah. Because I think then we need to claim back that word, Absolutely. those words, adult play. Mm-hmm. And and the others refuse to let me because it has rude connotations. I had had adult play. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) I had the same thing when I started playgrounding. I had to. I never used the phrase adult play because, like, if you want to get pigeonholed real fast, that's a great way to do it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I actually want to do an episode on that at one point, but still, it's like, no. But I wanted to call it that yeah. because of those connotations. Mm-hmm. Because, because why should we think? Oh, that's rude. I know. Because, because I think it's part again that uh, we're not allowed to play as adults. No. So, but it must be something naughty, it's, even when it's not naughty. Absolutely. Uh, if adults are playing, you know what it so, is. Yeah. That is how we see it, though. It's deviant yeah. somehow. It's weird. Stay away from that person who's over there playing. But you know. <laughs> What are they doing? <laughs> wow. So, so, so I think we should really try and claim back that that phrase, adult play. So okay. it's, it's not, it's, yeah, adult play is not just the rude sort. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. There should be no negative connotation to the words adult play, whether you're it's sex play or playing a game of Trivial Pursuit or reading a fairy story from Lancashire. Anyway, um, before we hear from Stacy Newman-Weldon, I wanted to share a fairy story that's been happening outside of my very home. Um, the past couple of weeks, every so often, I go out with my coffee in the mornings and I go out to read and I will find outside a package of a small package of Utz potato chips sitting on my little bench out there. And then I'll reach down to pick them up kind of perplexed. And then I'll see another Utz potato chips bag sitting in the pot where my cactus is. Um, <laughs> later that evening, we might find another one. We'll look up and see that there's one snuggled into the top of the umbrella that we use for shade out there. So it's just a strange fairy that keeps showing up at our house, leaving us potato chips. It's like it's like a surprise Easter every once in a while. And it's a lot of fun. We've actually had days where one day we'll get so many and so many different strange hiding places outside of our house. Um We'll be discovering them for days to come, especially if I go out to water my plants. Um, I'm telling you about this because, well, first of all, Ed's potato chips are very special to my husband. Um, And one of our neighbors who just happens to be from the same part of the country as he is, D.C., Virginia area, um, they always bring each other Ed's potato chips when they go on trips. So this is a very special, strange thing that my husband's friend has been doing for us that makes us feel loved. It makes us feel a little fun on an ordinarily not necessarily super fun day and it's it's sweet and it's special and it's something that I would I think that it's a great example of ways we can be encouraging and loving to each other Um, so if you have a friend who maybe is working a really hard job right now or maybe somebody who's just really down maybe they're sick or maybe they're just stuck in the monotony of lockdown still um might I suggest you follow in the step or footsteps of my R Utz fairy um, talking to you, Stevie. Um, I just think it's a really cool way to show some love at a time like this when we can't hang out with each other, leave each other a little silly surprises. Anyway, now hear from Stacy 
Newman Weldon. Stacy is a really good friend of mine and she has been on the podcast the last couple of like weeks every once in a while. Today, we're actually going to get two of her 10 adventure tips. We've been working through them in previous episodes. And the ones we're going to talk about today are really great for adults who have a hard time giving themselves permission to play. We're going to be hearing about Start Small and also her thing called the I Wonder Game. And the I Wonder Game just became very special to me um, as I was going through times of just anxiety and agonizing times where I could not seem to like get my brain to come back into the present moment at all. Um, Stacy's I wonder game was be very special to me. So you'll hear about those two things. Um, and now here is Stacy Newman Weldon. Start small is actually one of the great, great, um, ways for doing a lot of things like learning how to get your courage up and asking questions and, um, um, all that stuff. And it, it often gives you an entree into it. So part of it is taking is finding a big project and breaking it down. If you're a project manager, you probably do this at work all the time where you have to break it down into steps. And then what's your first step? Mm -hmm. I was never a project manager. So this was a, a challenge for me um, to be able to break things down into, you know, what's the big vision for me? I was always intimidated by big ideas and big visions. It was almost like I, you know, it was like as a child, you know, when you're told you're too much or your imagination is too crazy <laughs> and it's done in a critical way, you sort of shut down being that way. Um, so starting small helps you, you know, if you can imagine that big idea and say, okay, this sounds really, really, really impossible to me. But here's some of the steps I could take that would get me to that big, crazy idea. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, you know, you, you start taking the small steps. Like on my very first adventure, my first small step to um, taking myself on adventures was just going out a different door and then walking a different way home. And that's a small step. Mm -hmm. Um when I, another like example of a small step, um, was learning what kind of foods I liked, mm. uh, because I had health issues. It was like, you know, I had been in the category, the, you know, quote unquote diet category for my career for years. Mm. And I knew all the tips, but I never really applied it. You know, it never felt right in my life. And then I got diagnosed with a health issue and I had to change my diet to clean eating. Mm -hmm. And that's where I realized, and, and Carrie, you probably know this, you know, realize this too, uh, as mm -hmm. we talk, when you're on a quote unquote diet plan, <laughs> yep. they tell you all the things you can't have and it gets so negative. Yep. So one of the baby steps I took was to, to sort of start saying, well, what can I eat? as opposed to what I can't. Absolutely. And that was a big shift, but it took a lot of, uh, a, a lot of adventures to actually make it part of my life. Yeah. So, you know, I was inspired by watching Anthony Bourdain series, that kitchen confidential. <laughs> and I, and I started learning how to cook and I made it, you know, I pretended to be my own, you know, TV show for myself, you know, I was like, Oh, look at me cook. <laughs> um, 
And I think there was another another show where they ate like crazy, you know, some guy would travel to Korea and eat live spiders or something weird like that. And granted, I wasn't going to go to that extreme. I was going to take my baby step. I just went to my supermarket <laughs> and I went looking for the weirdest food I could find. And at that time, there were these these crazy lemons that looked like fingers they're, they're, I think, called Buddha hands. <laughs> they look so weird. I'm looking at the picture in the book. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are. And you look at them, you're like, and, and, and part of the, you know, my, my thought process is you look at these weird lemons and you're like, so this is where those, you know, TV or movie producers who make alien movies get their inspiration. Oh, yes. They look like tentacles. <laughs> they is that calamari or so lemon? <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I, I had no idea what to do with it and it's like, I bought it anyway, you know, and then I figured out how to do something with it and, you know, they ended up being too complicated. So I just had fun playing with it as opposed to, I played with my food against all of mom's, you know, admonition, (laughs) admonition, don't play with your food. All right. So tell me about number five, play the, I wonder game. I wonder what it's all about. No. <laughs> um, the, one of the things that's great about the I Wonder great game is that it really allows you to access your imagination and something even deeper, which is your intuition. And intuition is something that is, it's sort of that, to me, it's a sixth sense. And we are so, you know, some people call it a, a gut instinct or, you know, I just know my bones, but often we are taught not really to trust that mm-hmm. inner voice, but to trust outside yes. experts. So using the, I wonder game helps you get back reconnected to trusting, trusting yourself in a lot of ways. And actually that's one of the questions I have in there is like on a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust others and how much do you trust Oof. yourself? Because really the, I wonder game it, it's very joyful, but it also helps tap into trusting yourself. One of the hardest things to tap into if you're not used to doing that. Yes. Yes. It, 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 uh, I had to learn it a lot of different ways. And one of the things, um, one of the um, programs that I, I went through was um, a woman who taught this. Her name was Sonia Choquette, and she's uh, an intuitive, a psychic in a sense. And she teaches people how to get in touch with their intuition. And she taught this game called the I Wonder Game. And one of the exercises is is to like practice guessing like the color of somebody's hair or when a light is going to change or the color of the car. And the example she actually gives is that like, if you're at a stoplight without looking over and the car pulls up, you know, just use your imagination and guess what color hair is of the person (laughs) next to you and see how it goes. And it is actually kind of fun, but I know that when I was first doing this, you know, I think I was trying to guess the color of cars or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I would get so frustrated with the number of times I got it wrong, you know, because that's one of the, the, you know, one of my flaws I had to get over was I always wanted to be right. And so trusting your intuition and, and doing this game helped me get over having having to be right yeah. it was like learning to give it up and say okay it's just a game let's just play um 
and you can't control the outcome. So, um, and then you start getting better at it. But then I also switched the, I wonder game to, I wonder what will show up today. Mm. And that, that's also helping me to not force what's going to happen. It's like being open to, like, I always, you know, for, for when I started adventure Wednesdays, I was always planning them like, okay, today I'm going to go like to the new restaurant, or I'm going to go check out this art exhibit, or I'm going to do this. And, and a lot of times it was great because it was different for me. And so one Wednesday I didn't have anything planned and I had this, you know, this, I wonder sign that I had made for myself. And I said, I wonder what surprise is going to show up for Mm -hmm. me today. And I just sort of let go of the thought that I had to do something. And by lunchtime, a friend of mine called up, said she had just won tickets to a concert and was I available to go? And because I had not made any plans, of course I was. And we had the best time. And so that's when I learned that, you know, playing the I wonder game really works. You know, I may not be good at guessing people's hair color, (laughs) but I've gotten really good at letting go of what will show up. And, and with, with almost like putting out to the universe, I want something fun to show Mm -hmm. up. And a lot of times that's what, you know, something interesting has. And and honestly, for me, like the whole process of the, I, I would go around in circles in my mind anxiously, like analyzing a problem or analyze. I mean, nothing good can ever come of the, how much I thought about any of these things. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but when you introduced yeah. me to the I Wonder game, as soon as I would catch myself going down one of those, you know, n- never ending wells of rethinking about this thing again and again, I would just look up from wherever I was and just be like, I'm going to ask a question about whatever I see, you know? And if I'm in LA, I mean, that, wonder yeah, I wonder it. about it. I'm going to think about that thing. Like I saw a billboard and I just thought it was like the weirdest, funniest thing I'd ever seen that I would never watch on TV. But I also just got a great laugh and just imagined somebody greenlit that <laughs> and just started having fun. Like it just throws my brain into another direction, you know, in a moment like mm-hmm. that. Or it could end up with me seeing something like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that was happening this weekend. I can go do that thing or, you know, it's just like, the, the sky's the limit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's wonderful. And then of course, that's when you bring in wonder, you're bringing back in the joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, that's the best yeah. word for it. You bring back like a childhood mm-hmm. joy that wonder just as everything can be magical. Mm-hmm. And when you look at life like that, then things that do tend to be joyous and Absolutely. magical. You just made me think of the not a surf song where it's, if I was just an this isn't the lyrics I remember, but if I was just an alien that just landed on this planet and was looking around, that's kind of what I think about when I think of the I Wonder game. I'm just going to be like, what's that? Ooh, that's neat. <laughs> that's a good way to look it's, at it's it. It's better than using the words awareness and mindfulness. I mean, they're great words, but sometimes I'm like, oh, they're so heavy. But yeah, the I Wonder yeah. game is a lot. But being an alien. I want to be an alien the, and have the big eyes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can hear all about Stacy's adventures, her 10 adventure tips. You can download the book. We'll have the link on the Playgrounding podcast 
facebook.com slash 52 in today's show notes. Um, Adventure Wednesdays is just an amazing website filled with great adventures and Stacy is an amazing human um, for sharing them. So this week, make sure you sign up for the Playgrounding newsletter. I know I haven't been sending it out, but it will be finding its way to your inbox this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning thereafter. Love um, links to the latest podcast as well as latest articles on Playgrounding, as well as articles from other sources that I think you would really love. So... And the reason I'm actually doing this is because Playgrounding is going to become more than just a place for podcasts and blog posts and things like that. It's There's going to be more. And I'm not going to say more than that right now because it's all very exciting and scary and in the works. So be sure to sign up at Playgrounding.com. And yeah, I'll tell you more as I know more. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>